Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Crack Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We have had a lot of fascinating people on our show over the years from the tennis world, but I have to say, our guest today may have the background that I find most interesting, most relatable, and I am most excited to explore on today's show. Now, I will save all of his accolades, his complete resume for the formal introduction I make on the podcast, but you may know his work as a former college tennis player for the University of Illinois as a professional comedian. He's done stand-up comedy. He now is a correspondent for The Daily Show. Of course, he also hosts his own tennis podcast called Tennis Anyone. I, of course, am talking about our guest on today's show, Michael Costa, joining this show to talk a little bit about his background, the relationship between tennis and comedy, the similarities and why a background in tennis has helped him pursue his comedic career. And then, of course, we want to talk a little bit about the Miami Open as well. Michael, again, played a really high level of tennis. He was on that Illinois team from 99 to 2002. If you're a college tennis historian like myself, you know they won a national championship in 2003. So, of course, wanted to talk to him about the rise of Illinois tennis, what it's like to be coached, and any insight he might have about about his former head coach, uh, Craig Tiley. And then, you know, again, we, we have a lot of fun on today's podcast. He is a guy who grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan, played Michigan high school tennis. I also played Michigan high school tennis, as far too many of you know. So we had to explore that a little bit, how some of those formative wins and losses from his Michigan high school tennis career made him the person he is today. But again, a fantastic show. I am so excited for all of you listeners to hear. I just want to remind you all, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the Cracked Interviews podcast because of the support we get from you listeners, from our Patreon family, from our friends at Midwest Sports, 
CrossFitCoachCourse.com. The promo code is CR15. But this week in particular, we want to let you know about what our friends at FanDuel are doing to help everyone enjoy March Madness that much more. Of course, the March Madness Sweet 16 field is set. And in the spirit of the madness, the FanDuel Sportsbook is giving new users an incredible opportunity to earn some cold, hard cash. Here's the deal. Bet $5 on any of the Sweet 16 teams to win their game outright. And if they succeed, you'll profit $150. Again, what's 5 divided by 150? 150 divided by 5? That's 30 to 1 odds, folks. That's an unbelievable boost available to you after you make your initial deposit. Just go to FanDuel.com slash Cracked to take advantage of their offer right now. That's FanDuel.com slash C-R-A-C-K-E-D. You know, again, whatever the team may be, you want to ride with my Wolverines, we'd love to have you against Florida State. You want to go the other way. You just want to ride Gonzaga all the way to the championship. That's your prerogative. Of course, once you win that first bet, now you've got $150 to spread across your various Miami Open picks. Take advantage of your vast tennis knowledge as well. You can get it all started by going to FanDuel.com slash Cracked. Uh, but with that in mind, speaking of Cracked, this is the Cracked Interviews podcast. So let's get to our podcast conversation with the one and only Michael Costa. Joining us on the podcast today is a man of many talents. Let's start with the formal titles. He's a regional Emmy Award-winning stand-up comedian Mm. whose work you may know as a correspondent on The Daily Show, host of the Tennis Anyone podcast, and author of 101 Tips for Winning More Tennis Matches. Of course, I know him as the founder of the Net Nuts, a three-time Chris Martin Spirit Award winner and one of SEMTA's finest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Michael the Condor Costa. Michael, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. That is unbelievable introduction. Some of that stuff I expected and some of that stuff you hear, you know, as a guest, some of that SEMTA haven't heard that in a long time. The Condor (laughs) love that. Love that Chris Martin spirit awards for doing your homework and uh it's it's nice to talk with you alex thanks man oh it is my pleasure to have you yeah i feel like because chris martin came after you at illinois right so that had to have been just the spirit award at the time how did he get the name if you won it three times in a row when i yeah so i would argue that when i won it it obviously wasn't called the chris martin spirit award yet because I remember when Chris Martin came in on his recruiting trip to Illinois and a little backstory, if I may, if may I please. Okay. So brother David Martin was a top, top junior, um, a huge prospect in the college tennis world. And we went after David hard. I mean, (laughs) Craig Tiley at Illinois. I mean, we had the whole team picked him up at the airport. The whole team dropped him off at the airport. We had his recruiting weekend down by the minute. Who Here's who's going to spend time with David. We got to call David. You know, we wanted David Martin on the Illinois tennis team. I remember David left me a message on my dorm room 
telling me he was going to Stanford. It broke <laughs> my heart. It broke the Illinois team heart. It broke Craig's heart. Craig didn't talk for like two days. Okay, long story short, what happens to David freshman year at Stanford? Wins a national championship. Okay, of course. So backstory. Here comes Chris Martin to come as a as a prospect. Craig starts doing the whole song and dance that he did for David, and I'm furious. I'm like, Craig, I'm tired of kissing the Martin family. <laughs> I'm tired of David. I'm tired of Chris, blah, 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 blah. Longer story, even short. Uh, Chris decides to commit to Illinois. One of the best teammates, competitors, champions that the school has ever had, clinches the national championship match. That's probably why the Spirit Award is named after him. But um, I always tell that story because I tell Chris, I didn't want you, dude. I didn't want you on the team. I didn't. I was so sick of you, and you end up clinching the national championship. So what do I know? Yeah, no, that's amazing. And, you know, just to start quickly there, and again, listeners who don't know your background, you played at the University of Illinois from 99 to 2002. You were a two-time Michigan number one singles champion. Believe me, we're going to get back to 97, though, in your relationship with Dave, Sh- uh, Chris Schultz, excuse me. Okay, uh, but, yeah, just so you know. But You are uh, a nerd. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I do my homework. I do my homework here. That's half the fun. But um, yeah, and that segment of the podcast will be for four people, me, you, and your parents. Um, yeah. But, you yeah. know, just looking at the college tennis we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s, you mentioned uh, the older Martin going to Stanford the year before you arrived in college, 1998. One could argue the greatest college tennis team of all time, the Bryan brothers and, you know, Alex Kim and all of those guys at Stanford were just, you know, putting together a juggernaut. And then, of course, the year after you leave, you know, your Illinois team, uh, they trade you for Rajiv Rahman and it ends up bringing home a national championship. Uh, just curious if you can, when you look back at that level of college tennis, how high was the level? How good was the tennis being played on court? Yeah, well, it was much higher when I got off the court. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, 2003, Illinois won the national championship. Um Man, I wanted nothing more than a national championship. Tried really, really hard to make it happen. But it it did feel great when the, the Illini won that because all of those guys were my recruits. They came in as recruits. They slept on my couch. It was my responsibility to convince them that Craig was the best coach, that Illinois was the best place, that you would win a national championship if you came to Illinois. And Craig did a great job convincing me that that was the case. And I truly believed it. Um, And I was right. Sadly, I wasn't on those teams. How good was the tennis? I think it was excellent. Now, um, I don't, you know, it was a different style of tennis. There was a lot more volleying. Doubles was... uh, Tons were crossing, tons more, um, you know, strings were different, rackets were different. So it's hard for me to compare the quality versus the quality today. But that Stanford team that you brought up, I mean, the guy who was playing number five was like 400 in the world. You know what I mean? It, it, It was, I remember playing them and they were on some ridiculous win streak that we beat them at the national indoors in Seattle, my freshman year. And every single time I see Bob and Mike Bryan, I bring this up, which by the way, is once a year at the Kevin Anderson charity event. 
but um bob and mike they may have been playing two doubles yeah they may have you know so because i believe like ryan walters and kj hippensteel it, it, it was just outlandish it was outlandish I will say this to toot my own horn for a second. My doubles partner and I, Nathan Zeter, at one point were ranked five in the country and we played three doubles. Yeah. Not bad. That's not bad. And, and now that I'm get- a stand-up comedian. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly. You found the sense of humor in playing at two at that time. But, you know, I think that brings the obvious question. You talk about having them on your couch on the recruiting trip because – if you grow up around enough tennis people, and I happen to, and I know you're one of the exceptions, you go to Ann Arbor Huron, which is a public high school, and you know you have a normal life outside of tennis, but you get them on the couch for the recruiting trip. Who is the most interesting visit? Rajiv Ram, Amir Delic, like those are both top 100 players, but yeah. I have to imagine a little sheltered coming to Champaign. Yeah, and and I and I was I've always prided myself on loving and being passionate about the sport but not being a tennis bubble not knowing knowing that there's another section in the paper besides sports uh you know traveling to different places and not playing tennis that was a that was big part of my family my my mom was always so worried i was too into tennis that she would be like you're going to summer camp and it's like real summer camp you're not touching a tennis racket (laughs) So when Amir came on his recruiting visit and he requested to play tennis, I flipped. I couldn't believe it. I said, Craig, these guys are dorks. You may, you may win a national championship, but these guys are like the tennis nerds that I can't stand. Um, and you know what? I was right, but also I learned that it was that singular focus Rajiv came on campus and you know, the coaches aren't allowed to arrange uh, hitting for the players on a, as a recruit, at least they weren't back then. They aren't, they are, I think maybe they could book them a court. I don't remember, but you weren't allowed to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, all the players Craig was bringing in, they all wanted to hit. It's like, guys, it's 48 hours, go to a football game, you know, have some fun and get out of there. Anyways, I mentioned that because now as an, as a 41 year old person who's attempting to become an expert in something, podcasting stand-up comedy showbiz you need an obsession you need a focus it doesn't mean you can't have a balanced life but i was very impressed with those guys at such a young age uh realizing no it's a saturday i'm practicing today yeah no you talk about that singular focus and you know a guy who could sell sand in a desert and water to an ocean is Craig Tiley who now of course head of tennis Australia and you once said in an interview and I think Brian Eisner was the coach of my Wolverines at the time he said look we're winning a national championship with or without you so you know it's up to you uh Michael and you're like all right I'm gonna go to Illinois in that case well again I've I you hear things about Craig Tiley uh you know obviously that is a man who pulled off a grand slam in a pandemic no expenses uh held yeah. Yeah. what does Craig Tiley say to bring you to Illinois and what did he do because now Illinois is legitimately one of maybe five profitable tennis programs across the country like it's a yeah. business and it's a top-notch business as well yeah well thanks for doing your homework you really found some some good interviews and i don't know if they're good deep 
Okay, you went to some deep, some depths. To I watched it. you rock some people in Central Park in New York. And A, shout out to you. I'm a Prince Graphite user. You were uh, part of the Prince yes. team. So I'll yeah. always give a shout out to that. But I also watched you play. And within three seconds, I'm like, oh, yeah, this guy played late 1990s tennis. I'm like, it's very, yeah, very totally. clear. Way too many yeah. backhand slices. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. That's also because I, I didn't want to move my feet. But um <laughs> Yeah, so there was this 70s and 80s Michigan dominance of Big Ten championships. And I was from Ann Arbor, and Brian Eisner was this coach for Michigan and big talker. Um, and in a lot of ways, you know, delivered on those big talking promises until later in the 90s. And then I just, he, he, he wasn't effective as a coach anymore. Um, and he said, hey, you know, Michael, we're going to win a Big Ten champion. We're going to win a national championship with or without you and as a recruit. And I said, okay, well, thanks for that. Then I went to the Illinois visit and Craig said, my goal and plan is to win a national championship within 10 years of being at Illinois. And then, this is not a joke, he went to the cupboard and he pulled off a binder that said 10-year plan. And he flipped to year three, because that, that was the current year we were in. And he said, my first goal was to eliminate any players that weren't, that weren't like truly passionate about the sport. I kicked those players off. My next goal was to recruit American junior tennis players, not just pull from foreign uh, countries. My third goal was to get the best junior player. You know, he had a, a, a plan, man. <laughs> it was, a, it was, anal retentive in his <laughs> specifics and his detail. And I remember thinking, okay, Brian Eisner said, I'm going to win a national championship. Craig said, here's how, here's the blueprint. Here's my plan. And when did he win the national championship? His 10th year of coaching at Illinois. Of course it comes yeah. full circle. And now he hosts Australian opens and that binder has probably become an Excel spreadsheet and just totally. all totally. of the different things Craig Tiley does uh, for tennis. Yeah. You, you can just tell why he has success because he buys in from the get go. Last question about your background, because I do want to talk some Miami open with you. I want to talk about your podcast as well, but sure. uh, you, you talk about the singular focus you, you see from these top notch athletes who want to go from the college ranks to the pro ranks and you mentioned as well, it takes a singular focus to succeed in a lot of things in life. Uh, now, I don't know how I'm going to segue from that to my question, but, you know, tennis, I always say it's the most unintentionally comedic sport in the world because you have these people who are so caught Say it up again. You always say it's what? You say, the you most say unintentionally what? comedic sport in the world because right. you have these people who are so caught up in themselves, right? And you, you scream at yourself on the court because you're the only one out there playing and it's just you out there. And I'm just curious how a, uh, you know, a, a life around people who are so singularly focused and so driven uh, to become professional athletes leads one to a career in professional comedy. Because certainly yeah. if you want to see the humor in tennis, I feel like you can. Yeah, I mean, tennis is the, – the, there isn't a better sounding sport. Just think of the sounds. They're, they're funny, you know, like the, the, the shoes on a hard court, the racket hitting the hard court, the ball, 
the ball is felt what yeah the, the, the leg slaps they're you're the, abusing yourself the the leg slaps then like you know and that's just the players um then there's like these line people that are like leaning to the side and they're always like out of weight overweight and they're like yelling they don't just yell out they yell like Wah! you know and it, it's it's funny it's funny um it's not funny when you're in it losing facing a break point um and so i think what what gets frustrating for me is when general sports fans go like why did novak Djokovic break his racket he doesn't have respect for the sport and i'm like oh were you down a break in the fourth playing for two hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars, and you're pissed because you know you're better than that no you weren't so but but those types of moments like like i work at the daily show when Novak cracked that racket, I think it was in the Australian Open, maybe against Zverev, maybe. I forget mm-hmm. what it was. But I got all these messages from people at the show like, this guy has no respect for the sport. And I'm like, you just tuned in to tennis for the first time <laughs> in the year. Like, I'm happy that you now know about Novak Djokovic. <laughs> you know, so um, uh, the similarities in tennis and comedy are that you're alone, you're problem solving alone when you suck you can't hide it uh it hurts when you suck man bombing in comedy and losing one and one very similar um you're you have an opponent in in comedy the way i approach my opponent is it's the audience and i'm trying to defeat them now other would would describe it differently that's how i like to approach it probably because of my uh tennis background but there's a lot more similarities than you kind of realize. No, the improvisation of a tennis point, very similar to the improvisation you need on stage. You need to be creative. No point's going to look the same. No joke's going to land the same with each crowd. Not that I've thought about this, but yeah, I think I'm funny, No, it's true. So. And, <laughs> yeah. and and I'm sure it's, it's well documented that Nadal and his coaching and his – they prepare to be unprepared. Mm-hmm. So they, they are mentally to not know what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And, mm-hmm. and when you watch him, you go, how does he adapt so well? How does he like have this resilience so well? And in comedy, I got my plan. I got 45 minutes of jokes. I got it. And you better be ready to throw all of that in the trash and do something different. And that, mm-hmm. and so, you know, you kind of go in with a plan, but be ready to make adjustments. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And again, um, I'm sure for you, there were plenty of adjustments given the fact, you know, I think you just started with The Daily Show right before COVID hit and then COVID hits and you're doing stuff at home and everything's adjusting. And so I know one of the adjustments you made to keep tennis as a part of your life is you started your own podcast and it's the Tennis Anyone podcast. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, I listened to a couple of episodes. I like oh, to do thanks, my research Alex. here. Of course. Oh, yeah. You know, from one podcaster to another, it's a job well done. Um, but, you know, for you, I'm, I'm just curious because obviously you've got a lot of stuff going on outside the realm of tennis. What brought you back? What was the impetus for starting the podcast? Yeah. Thank you for mentioning it and asking that. I love tennis. Um, I, I watch it all the time. My, my wife is kind of like, will you stop yelling at me about Spelunka's <laughs> forehand? Um, and man, the pandemic, you know, if anything, we've realized that you need content 
you need to put something out. The only time I'm really happy is when I'm creating something. Um, so I'm yelling and talking about tennis anyways, and I focus it into a small cylinder device that amplifies my voice and records it so people can listen. Um, but also, selfishly, comedically, it's a unique perspective that I have in the comedy world. I mean, there's not a lot of comedians that are, you know, really know about tennis. And um, man, have I been pleasantly surprised and humbled at the listeners and the feedback that I've been getting on a tennis podcast when all this time I've been focusing on my energy and comedy, which, hey, I love comedy. It's been good to me. But the tennis community and the tennis fans are insane. And I love that. Yeah, no, I, I would echo that sentiment entirely. I've noticed, I think the friends I have made in the past 15 months, I'm like, well, I, I do podcasts with like three different people a week. That's three new friends. That yeah. counts, right? Yeah. And yeah. I've noticed for me because, you know, no relationship, still married to the game, but 15 months with someone constantly, it's going to wear your relationship. My microphone box and I are on thin water right now. Oh, yeah. She's done with me. She's yeah. like, stop talking to me. You talk at me three hours a day. You never let me get a word in. I'm like, please just keep working. Um, so, yeah, and, yeah. And it's great that you, man, you and Cracked Rackets put out so much stuff. I mean, it never, I, part of me is envious and part of me is like, whew, I'm glad I don't have to do all that. <laughs> Well, again, married to the game. That's yeah. just what else is there to do right now. But with that in mind, let's look at Miami now. And you look across the board. We have 19 of the top 20 women in the field. The only one we're missing, eight-time champion Serena Williams. By the way, eight-time champion, just like – I. Please introduce me as that at something. Eight-time champion at going to the bathroom in the morning, Alex Gruskin. Thank you very much. But Serena Williams, yeah. unfortunately, not in the field. Uh, but, of course, you know, Naomi Osaka has been so great. Garbine Muguruza has been great. It feels wide open. On the men's side, you know, it feels like the battle for the heir apparent, right? It's no Djokovic, no Federer, no Nadal, no Dominic team either. And I want to start on that men's side because it feels like four guys have kind of separated themselves. Andre Rublev, Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Alex Zverev. I'm not going to ask you to pick a camp because I'm sure you like all four for different reasons. But who's the guy for you right now? Karetsev. <laughs> That's a good choice. That, that, that uh, Aslan Karetsev is such an interesting story that you could be 256 in the world qualify for Australia and make the semis and then win Dubai. So, uh, but, 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 but I do not think he's at the level of those four you mentioned, but I do find it interesting that when it comes to Russian tennis, two months ago, I would have said Rublev Medvedev and didn't even know who Karetsev was. <laughs> so I absolutely love Medvedev. Um, I was unsure of him and was very lucky in that I got to go to the US Open final um, where he lost the first two sets to Nadal. This was 2018, maybe. Mm -hmm. And I, I, Trevor Noah took me. This is my, this is my <laughs> name drop moment. He said, do you wanna to go to the men's final with me? And I was like, are you out of your mind? Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so it was an excellent, excellent final he loses the first two sets and I just said, okay, that's it. Nadal's up two sets. And this dirty Russian 
<laughs> fought his way into a fifth of his first Grand Slam final. I, and I was immediately a fan, immediately a fan. So I love him. And um, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say I'm in the Medvedev camp. Yeah, it's a good camp to be in. And I think that was the, tw- I want to say 2018, 2019, one of those two years. But yeah, since then, I mean, the six weeks he put together then, and then obviously he ru- rips through the Australian Open this year, the mm-hmm. year-end finals last year. He is the betting favorite right now. I think he's plus 350 overall, but okay. you know, I think they're all between plus 350 and plus 600. It's all pretty narrow odds uh, for the top four favorites. My, my thing with Medvedev is, he just likes to play with his food a little bit, right? And you talk about it. It's just like a – and it, I'm curious how literate Noah, uh, you know, Trevor Noah is in tennis talk. Did you have to be like, no, 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 this is a bait game for Daniil Medvedev. The first two sets he baits you, and then he breaks your heart the next three. It's right, just like that. Right. That's, the thing is sometimes he plays with his food a little too much. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. Uh, and you're right. He, he plays with his food. And then next thing you know, you look down and it's mush. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like cold mush. It's like, Hey dude, you had a nice meal right there and you blew it. Um, I, I get that. I understand that. I was a free thinker on the court and it almost always came back to bite me in the ass. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I not have, I cannot relate to the Nadal team Rublev mentality that is just like fuzzy the yellow ball fuzzy yellow ball fuzzy yellow ball i was going wonder we should have dinner tonight oh is <laughs> is this my good good the good racket man that girl's cute over there you know um so i i like watching medvedev and, and seeing that his kind of hamster wheel is all over the place mm-hmm. someone like rublev i always wonder how he's still winning he looks like <laughs> nothing he his you know he's so skinny but man does he crush the ball man is he hungry like emotionally hungry to win and it is very impressive and uh just just crushes crushes the ball and it's so fun to look at there's a sound that comes off the racket on the Rublev forehand and I think the Felix Ogier Aliasim forehand Yannick Sinner too yeah. where you're just like is that a rocket ship taking off like that is not what tennis balls used to sound like coming off of yeah. strings and so yeah, he did. Rublev's just so he seems so angry. I'm like, why are you angry? You've won 23 in a row. Like, be happy, a little bit happier. Yeah, he's he's pissed, and then he wins, and he does the sign of the cross and looks up to Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, not only is he pissed, he's religiously motivated. Watch out, this guy's yeah, coming for you, dude. That is not a man whose way you uh, whose path you want to get in front of. You know, meanwhile, no. Zverev's the perfect chef. It's just he always forgets to actually cook the steak. And it's like all the ingredients yeah. are there, but just something in the oven's not quite right. Um, yeah, I've, I've just, you know, I've just never, I've just never gotten excited about him. Really? Can I say that? Can I say such a thing? You know, I'm going to allow it, but I will say the exact opposite. So we disagree, which is always a good thing. I think there's 10 minutes in every match where I will watch Alex Virov, and regardless of his reprehensible actions off the court, but on the court, you think there are 10 minutes where he just looks like he does things that I've never seen on a tennis court before. His size, his speed, his length, his creativity. I'm just like, if you could do that for an hour— you beat everyone two and two, like, yeah. and and you'd be the best. But he, but he just can't. I I can't get over the fact that he is so tall, mm-hmm. moves so well, with such a huge serve, and yet to me is like so 
off the defensive defensive end of the court. He's so far back. <laughs> but again, you saw me play on a YouTube video and said that's late '90s tennis. <laughs> to me, if you have those skill sets, if you are that height, if you can move that well, get in the front of the court and be attacking and moving forward to net. He does volley well. That's what's so fun about his U.S. Open final with yeah. team. He finally started to sneak in. And I was like, holy shit, this guy can volley. Yeah. So also he's German. I'm just it's just harder for me to, you know, embrace the Germans. No, I heard someone make a joke that Zverev's actually more Russian than Medvedev, Hachinov, or Karatsev are. So I, oh, I that's like, very funny. Yeah, that I was like a good that. one. I was that's like, I'm good. stealing that's that good. for sure. Uh, I can understand yeah. why Karatsev would appeal to you because if you were to take Carlos Moya and Aslan Kar- and uh, Marat Safin and transplant them into now, it would be the Karatsev game style. Um, but that is, I mean, for me, the thing would be if he makes the Australian Open semifinals, then wins Dubai then ends up winning here in Miami, like you probably just stop the sport at that point. We're like, that's your guy. That's your winner. What is he even seated? I'm looking at the men's draw. Is he I think seated? he is seated for the first time. I think he's like he's like a low like a 17, 17 seat or something like that. Yeah. 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 You know, it's hard for me to not see the success and go, can somebody drug test these Russians? Uh <laughs> it's not like Russia has a clean record in sports and drug testing. I also think that is incredibly not fair of me because a guy has been a journeyman grinding fighting and i want people to realize in this sport that the journeyman journey woman they are very good (laughs) and they can break through and when they get that little bit of nod of confidence they can be 17 in the world they you know so uh i just love and it kind of is like when sophia cannon won the australian open two years ago i love when the player's game is world-class, but but they don't have the team or the racket sponsorship or the Instagram account yet. Yeah. I love watching the game be there first. And it's like, oh, no one's taught Sophia Kennan how to do a press conference. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and love that. Cause that's like, we're, it's like when Coco broke through, it was like, oh, just a kid. This is like, the game isn't, but the, but the, the mind is in some ways. There's definitely that innocence, right, to the young players that it's so enjoyable to watch. And like, as you mentioned, it before he could become a top 10 doubles player in the world, uh, Robin Klaassen had to go win two futures in the U.S. and one in Jamaica with Michael Costa before he can find his way. And I think even weirdly, one of the, thank you for bringing that up. I think weirdly, one of the last doubles matches I played, I, and this is what's so strange about doubles, I beat Raven. Because we broke up as a team, not because we like didn't like or have success, but because of the ranking system. Like I wasn't going to get in with him or whatever it was. So he found a higher ranked partner and I did the same thing. And then we played each other. And it was so strange because I'm like ta- telling my partner, serve here, serve here. I know where Raven's going to serve because we play <laughs> together every week. And then nine years later, I'm drunk at a New York comedy club. I take a, a rented bike home i make popcorn i sit on the couch i turn on the australian open doubles final and there is raven clausen and i was like i was so freaking proud of him and he's endured and what any athlete has to endure to get to that level is unbelievable 
Mm-hmm. No, I mean, yeah, and then I think this year was Rajiv, right, who makes another couple finals, and he won the title last year, too. It's Yeah, it, it's unbelievable what these guys are able to do uh, and just to see them pivot this late in their career as well. And then, you know, that that's also, I think, a good segue into some of the Miami men's stuff because Dimitrov, Rayonic, Gofen, Bautista, Goot, all of those guys— they really do feel like afterthoughts, and it's crazy to say that, but is that fair? Is, is, is it like, yeah, we're, we're kind of good on that generation. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, you know, I I was baffled the other day when I Googled Raonic <laughs> because I was like, I, this. I, it just feels like forever that I'm going, he's got to win a Grand Slam one of these days. So then I Googled him, and I saw that he was 30? <laughs> Or, you know, or, it, or it's like wife, you know, it's you always type in someone's name and then it says like wife. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. he, I thought, is he married? He sadly is like more towards the, uh, the other end of his career than the beginning. And you're right. You know, I love watching Dimitrov. I think he's just such a like pleasant player, excellent um game but also like sportsmanlike everybody seems to, you know i went and watched his match at the u.s open recently and then this is a testament to what you're saying they put him on like court 18 yeah you know i'm like next to grigard dimitrov watch <laughs> watching him play and there was a time in this sport where that would not be the court he was on um look <laughs> you have a small window to break through and it is sad and it sometimes it's injury sometimes it's Look at Sloane Stevens. I mean, Grand Slam champion. I watched her last night. She she has looked mad for four years at this point. <laughs> she is just mad that she's not at the level that she was. And it comes and goes so quickly. And is nothing easier than sitting in my bedroom on a Zoom call talking about it with another person who's talking about it <laughs> than it is to actually live it. It's just, it is so difficult. And you're right. You know, you're right about Dimitrov and um, who, who else did you say? Karina? Yeah, Karina Busta, Rayonic. They're all in, yeah, that grouping. And by the way, if you want some light viewing later, uh, go look up Milos Rayonic trying to explain mortgage rates and how they work. It was, I think, something he did for the government of Canada, like a public service <laughs> announcement. I love it's, that. It's I, I would also love to learn about mortgage rates. Oh, that's yeah, so good. Exactly. You would be both. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with your sentiment as well. It's crazy to think, yeah, you look it up and they're all on the other side of 30. And that doesn't mean what it used to mean in tennis. Yeah. But it certainly means something. And, you know, I know you spent some time traveling futures events. I think I don't know if in your day they had made the transition branding wise to being called challengers or satellites, whatever they were called at the time. Chal- um, it, it was called challengers. And I played some low, low level ones. Yeah. But just can you imagine what that grind would be like amidst the pandemic as well? Like, I just feel like that. That's I mean, talking to some of these players, I know they're not enjoying themselves. Yeah, I mean, you see, you know, you see Novak pulling out of Miami because technically he said, I want to spend more time with my family. I thought that I thought that was interesting because it's a mandatory event. So are you allowed to pull out for that? Mm, I, I, I think they waived all mandatory. It's just like this year. It's like, do your thing. Yeah, do your thing. Oh, I mean, you know, I, I don't I had a quick phone call with um, 
Noah not Rubin. Novak. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Yeah, no, not with Novak. Phone. I would yeah, love to get his phone number. But um, with <laughs> Noah Rubin, who I, you know, forgive me for not knowing his immediate ranking, but let's say top 300 at least. Mm-hmm. Two, I, don't, I don't know. And, you know, um, it's a grind. It, it's a grind, period. I mean, you're sharing hotel rooms. And if you can get a hotel room and the hotel is not the Four Seasons, um, I personally, if I was on the the edge of my tennis career and COVID happened, I would probably just say, that's it. I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I love the sport, but I can play the sport for fun. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine it's a, it's too bad. It's like those Olympic athletes that train for four years and then they postpone the Olympics. Be, what? Because someone bought a, <laughs> a, a, a monkey at a, at a market in China or whatever, yeah. whatever we're deciding is the reason. Yeah. It's very, it, it, it's too bad. And there's only so much, time on an athlete's body so this is difficult and um sam query fled russia you know (laughs) it's like he had he had the availability of a private jet company um i don't know how you would do i don't know how you do futures and challengers when there isn't a global pandemic it is such a nightmare and they suck so bad and there's no money and they haven't changed the money forever so it's tough. It's tough to be a journey man or woman in tennis, period. Mm-hmm. No, and certainly for some of them to get the chance to play in Miami this week, that's the paychecks are reduced. I think it's only a $10,000 first run check, but that's a lot of money, and you'll take it certainly uh, for so many of these players. Let's flip quickly to the women's side now. Naomi Osaka hasn't lost in her last three hardcore events. I think it's. Uh, yeah, U.S. Open, Western, Southern, Australian Open. She's just a rock. Um, she is the prohibitive favorite, according to odds makers. Probably tennis fans feel that way as well. But, you know, yeah. Muguruza hasn't lost. Or, you know, she's lost like twice in the past year. And she had match points on Osaka. It yeah. feels like Barty, Halep, Sabalenka, they're all stellar as well. You pick a name out of a hat, it feels like, on the women's side any week. And that's your champion. How are you feeling? Well, I watched that – I'm trying to find the draw here. I watched that uh, Muguruza-Osaka-Australian Open match, and I've always liked her. I thought she was an excellent player and stayed composed. She should have beat Osaka. I mean, that's one of those matches where you're like, that's going to hurt a little bit. Like, you had match points. I don't think she played great on those actual match points, but um, – I'm looking at the draw now, and I've, I, I like Naomi Osaka very much. I like her. I'm just going to smile and act nice, but then absolutely obliterate the ball and obliterate you as an opponent. <laughs> Ash Barty has not had much of a year. Um, as an American, whew. Shelby Rogers, oh, she's good. Sloane I mean, Stevens, she did win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I They're, really like, and she's kind of finally healthy for once in a while. Mm-hmm. No, they're all good choices. I mean. Again, there's so many. It's crazy. Like, the best American woman right now might be a 20-year-old by the name of Ann Lee, who's just rocketing up the rankings, who's lost, like, six times in the past six months or something crazy like that. And it's just the depth. Like, yeah. there's Clara Tawson a few weeks ago, Layla Fernandez last week, and, you know, Iga Sviantek is yeah. was winning the French Open and just destroying everyone. It just feels like that is why the women's game right now is so exciting. And I feel like... 
I don't know why people get so – like the, the concept of the era without the big three, that there might be six or seven people winning Grand Slams on the men's side. I feel like that's going to be way more fun. It just depends on the personality because, because you could say to me, hey, a young Polish woman is going to win the French Open. Are you interested? And I would say, oh, that doesn't sound interesting to me. And then I watch her play and I watch her intensity and I see that she's modeled a lot of her intensity and play off an adult. And I'm going, oh, this is captivating tennis. And this is a captivating person. She doesn't even speak English in the, in the press conference. She like her, her publicist team that she didn't even have yet hasn't taught her, Hey, you're going to have to learn some English. So, um, the reason those big three, the reason Serena Williams are so good for the sport is the general sports fan recognizes those names and, and turns on and goes, oh, I know this person. So it is more challenging for the general sports fan to go, Iga, Shvian, what? Um, you know, but I love her. I think she's excellent for the sport. Um, and, you know, yes, Co- another example is Coco. I always just get so worried that that we're putting too much pressure on this young kid mm-hmm. who is good, um, but but she she captivated. Look, I know when I go to the Daily Show offices and people start talking to me about players, I go, okay, this is not a tennis fan. Yeah. So something about this person is captivating, you know, and and that's definitely the case, um, definitely the case with Coco and and Osaka. Yeah. Do you think it, last three questions here down the home stretch? So I don't want to keep you for too long, but you think Osaka, uh, Osaka? Well, yeah, Osaka was the highest grossing, I suppose, female athlete ever last year. But do you think Osaka, Serena, Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, the the stars of stars in tennis, shine at the same stage globally as people like the LeBrons of the world, of people like the Tom Brady's of the world? Do you think they have, you know, again globally, not here in the U.S., but globally, you think they have that sort of shine? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Tom Brady has world shine, yeah. does he? No, probably not. That well, was a Michigan thing. That's that a Michigan thing. Out. Yeah, I mean, just because the sport the, is a global yeah. sport. I remember when I was playing futures, I went to Japan, and I played a bunch of $10,000 futures, and, you know, I made doubles final. And I'm like, you know, cool, doubles final. We're, like, in the van going to the court. And yeah. I see, like, 400 people in the stadiums, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, is, the, is there like an exhibition going on? They're like, this is for the, no, they go, this is for your final. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> this, is, this is fun. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I lose. But <laughs> um, there's something like seven tennis magazines in Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you don't just get one crappy decision like us in America where it's like, <laughs> I guess I have to buy this poorly written tennis magazine. Uh, yeah, so we forget what a global sport it is. Roger is global uh roger naomi i i I almost forget how global naomi is because um i think oh no i'm a tennis fan so i know about her but no like you said made the most amount of money of any female athlete last year deservedly and tennis is a global sport and um these are global stars no, absolutely. Well, then, with that in mind, two last Michael Costa-centric questions for you. And obviously, anytime you get the Condor, you have to get his advice on these sorts of things. But uh, one, a personal question. 
96, 97, 98. 1996, number one singles champion. You're the sophomore hotshot. You probably have it there moving forward. Okay. And I believe in 96, your team wins the team title. You're talking about Not, Michigan high school tennis here. Yeah, we're getting serious the here. The only podcast on all of iTunes that's talking about Michigan high school tennis, late hey, 90s. Talk about what you know best. Yep. Um, Chris Schultz of East Lansing comes to town in that semifinal. You're the number one seed. You probably haven't lost a match in like two and a half years. Knocks you off four and four. Now, the reason I bring that up, you beat David Lynn 0-0 in the final the next year. That's right. That's got to be intentional. Oh, man. I mean, you know, you – I don't even know how to start talking about this stuff because these matches and emotions have been rolling around in my head for 25 years, but (laughs) – if you have any self-awareness, you know, Michael, nobody gives a shit about this. Stop. <laughs> I talk, do. Stop I thinking do. about it. And now I'm meeting somebody who actually is asking about it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, you learn so much in the sport. And, and because the sport, you're alone. Mm-hmm. Because you're problem solving. Because you're problem solving at a young age, you you grow. You grow tremendously. And all I can say about all of that is sophomore year i won junior year i thought i was god's greatest gift to the sport uh god forbid a young kid from east lansing decided he was going to compete hard against me what (laughs) you're not supposed to do that i won last year uh and he played great and he beat me in straight sets i think i even cheated him a few times and got called out (laughs) by the umpire uh and, you know, you walk away from that humbled. I got to work harder. I got to be better, not just in this match and this tennis, but in life. And, and nothing is guaranteed. And keep your smile on. Keep working hard. And the next year, I did hands down, was significantly better than everybody in that tournament. Um, but as soon as you get cocky, I go play a national event in Florida and lose two and one in the first round. So it's just <laughs> tennis like comedy is always ready to humble you and put you on your ass mm-hmm. will you because the reason i bring it up there's this kid named kenny garsecki and my team senior year 39 out of 40 points at states right i think we tied the kevin seaforth here on teams i don't wow. think i know i'm just trying to sound like i don't follow it that closely i know we tied you the kevin it. seaforth teams yeah, yeah. um I'll always remember Kenny Garsecki's name from St. Joe's because he beat Max Shambram, our four singles player, in a three-set final to ruin the streak. Will you always remember the name Chris Schultz? Yeah, for sure. And um, for whatever reason, it did pop in my mind recently. And I've been doing some self-reflection this pandemic, and I think I had always been mad at him and mad at me, you know, for that match. But now as I'm living my life and enjoying it and, you know, successes and failures, I thought, why am I mad at this guy? He he, he played an awesome match and he played great and uh, good for him. So look, it took 25 years for me to say that. I saw Kenny Garcecki on the bus once on North Campus at Michigan when we were both 
students there and there was like a clear i know who you are you know who yeah. i am let's just keep our sides yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but all right with and by the way the david lynn win o and o that appreciated really really well very good for your transitive properties moving forward so okay you know you've, Great. you've always got yeah you've got that last one this is the most important question i'm going to ask you it was an innocuous comment you made again mm-hmm. in a similar interview i heard but i think it may have been the biggest truth ever to be told on a tennis court Mm. No jeans when playing tennis. You said it in the interview. I think that's a firm policy. When the first round team comes to regionals and they're wearing jeans, you're like, come on, man. Like, you couldn't throw on shorts. That's a firm rule, right? Look, the sport has a long way to go in welcoming <laughs> everyone. Yes. We want the, the average sports fan. We want wealthy people. We want poor people. We want. Everybody who thinks sports are cool and fun, we want those people. But don't bring your weak jeans <laughs> onto my tennis court. That This started as a sport of nobility. I am ready to give up some of that nobility. But get your freaking jeans off of my court. Yeah, like to ask someone to wear shorts, like you're wearing shorts if you're playing sports. Uh, it's not an unreasonable ask. I agree. Well, then with that in mind, obviously, again, Michael, we're so grateful for you taking the time. Uh, people know they can see you on The Daily Show, but for all of your other content, where can they find all of your work? Uh, at Michael Costa on Twitter and Instagram or michaelcosta.com. Please subscribe to my tennis podcast after you're done subscribing to the uh, Crack Rackets 1015 podcast they have. It's just called Tennis Anyone with Michael Costa. We talk tennis in depth. We also just talk whatever I feel like. <laughs> that's that's why we have four podcasts because I need I like three of them are like formal one of them I just need to talk uh, yeah. but yeah no again I feel like it's by the way it's not tennis anyone it's tennis anyone sure like, right that that's the yeah. pop, proper yeah. inflection so yeah. of course again you can find that wherever you listen to your shows Michael Costa thank you so much for taking the time my Wolverines play your Illini for a Big Ten title this weekend Friday at the Atkins Tennis Center. Ooh. You might want to tune into that one. I you may get a shout out or two from the broadcaster. Yeah, that is uh would that be fightingalini.com probably with fightingalini.com. Okay. That's it. I'll do that for sure. Alex, awesome. thank you for having me very much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate your pointed question. Thank you. Of course. Stay safe, stay healthy, my friend. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with Michael Costa. I've never worked with a professional comedian before. I get it now. There's a speed they play at that is thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable for anyone, in my opinion, who gets to interact with someone who is a professional comedian. And so a huge thank you to Michael for bringing his professionalism, for bringing his enthusiasm, and for giving us his time on today's conversation. Again, if you want to hear more about his thoughts on not just tennis, but really everything going on in his life, be sure to check out his Tennis Anyone podcast. It really is a delight. All of the episodes usually around 30 minutes, so just a nice way to get a laugh and get a laugh while talking about tennis as well. Very much an atmosphere we try to provide here at Crack Rackets. That's why we were so excited to have him on the show. And again, you can see his work on The Daily Show. You can go YouTube all of his stand-up comedy. You guys know how to find Michael Costa. Very easy to do so. 
if you'd like to moving forward. But of course, moving forward, there's also a lot going on in the tennis world. We try to cover it all here at Cracked Rackets in the college tennis realm. New computer rankings are out. That means two Great Shot podcasts from our College Tennis Holy Trinity this week on the GSP feed. Matt, Chris, and I break down the last week of results. We also offer our initial reaction to the year's first set of computer rankings. Of course, David Gertler joined me on the Great Shot podcast this week as well to talk a little challenger tour. Ben Rothenberg joined me for a first third of the season review on the, the, the mini break podcast. Max Rothman joined me for a betting guide, a contender's preview of this 2021 Miami Open. I think we've got it all covered. So if you have missed out on anything, be sure to catch up on it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, the Great Shot Podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, and all of our Cracked Rackets shows. Shout out, as always, by the way, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports and fanduel go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to fanduel.com use that promo code uh, fanduel.com slash cracked to take advantage of their 30 to 1 march madness offer but with that in mind for my wonderful guest michael costa our super producer Sligner and westoff our friends at midwest sports and fanduel and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.